Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. The old gospel song written by Civil War veteran Daniel Webster Whittle includes the lines, Showers of blessing, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops round us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Those lines express the idea that while we are experiencing God's blessing now, there is an even greater blessing that could lie before us, that for which we plead. The Jewish people of Zechariah's day, who had returned from exile in Babylon to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem, were experiencing God's blessing. But the prophet challenges them to ask God for an even greater blessing as a nation, not just mercy drops, but showers of blessing. Join us as we consider the prophet's message in this fifth in the series of studies of Zechariah 7-11 through 11, entitled, Promises Made, Promises Kept, a study we call Mercy Drops and Showers. We are looking at Zechariah chapter 10, and this series of studies from Zechariah has been from uh, Zechariah chapter 7 through Zechariah chapter 11. And we have one more session, and so next time we will be looking at Zechariah 11. Uh, but this is Zechariah 10, 12 verses in the chapter. And I would point out to you that uh, demonstrated in the book of Zechariah by the prophet uh, whose name is given to the book, uh, and, of course, Zechariah being one of the, the actually, three post-exilic prophets. And remember that Zechariah ministered when a remnant of Jews had returned from the exile in Babylon. Hence, the identification of post-exilic, after the exile. And he was a contemporary of another prophet, and that would, of course, be, uh, would be Zech Zechariah Haggai. Uh, so those two are post-exilic prophets. They ministered uh, around the same period of time to the group of Jews who had returned from exile in Babylon. And then about 100 years later, uh, there is another prophet who came onto the scene, and that would be Malachi. I'm sure you all remember our study of Malachi, right? Sure, absolutely you do. And conveniently, those happen to be the last three books of the Old Testament, Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi. And of course, following Malachi, there is a approximately a 400-year period of silence before the New Testament uh, takes up the history of Israel and the Jewish people, and specifically the birth of of the Messiah. And so we have this post-exilic prophet, Zechariah, and as we study his book, we, we observe uh, that he, Zechariah, demonstrates the twofold role of the Old Testament prophet. And we've talked about this before. 
that the role of the Old Testament prophet really had two parts to it. First of all, it was his job to be a forth teller, which means that he, as the spokesman for God, addressed issues of his day, present issues, speaking to the Jewish people, whether it is before the exile, during the exile, or after the exile, speaking to Jewish people about what was going on in their day and what God was was commanding them to do in their day. So that is the role of the fourth teller. But the other part, and perhaps the one that we're maybe more familiar with, is the prophet's role as a foreteller, F-O-R-E, foreteller. And of course, in this regard, the prophet is speaking of things that would happen in the future. And in some cases, many cases, the far-off future. Because much of what the Old Testament prophets had to say in their foretelling role has not even taken place yet, but it will, which is why we've entitled this series Promises Made as Presented by the Prophets, Promises Kept, because God always keeps his promises. Before we actually look at the text, though, I want to, to mention to you some major points of all of the Old Testament prophets. And so the whole group as a whole, out of the message of all of the prophets, there are some major points that we can trace through all of them, especially with regard to the future of the Jewish people as a whole. And that is the future of national Israel. And these are the major points. And you can actually, when you study any of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, pre-exilic, exilic, or post-exilic, you see this thread of these points woven through all of their messages. And the first would be this, that the Jewish people, Israel, national Israel, was commanded by God to observe his commandments, his law. And they were told that if they did not obey his commandments, then the result would be that which they would experience would be defeat at the hands of their enemies, hardship of many different varieties, and dispersion, that is scattering from their land to other lands. And as part of that, the prophets often speak of the leaders of the Jewish people. That is their religious leaders, as well as their governmental leaders, their um, political leaders. And in fact, the prophets oftentimes identify those leaders as the shepherds of the people. And unfortunately, the shepherds of the people were no help to the, uh, the tendency of the people to disobey. Because oftentimes the shepherds, the leaders, were wicked and were deceitful. In fact, there is a very pronounced statement back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, and 30. 
And it is at the end of the life of Moses. And at the end of Moses' life, and of course, the law of God was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And uh, at the end of Moses' life, he gathers the, the Israelites, the children of Israel together. Remember, they're in the uh, wilderness as a people. They're making their way eventually to the promised land. And Moses addresses them knowing that he is not going to be able to enter the promised land with them. He would be turning over the mantle of leadership to Joshua, who led the conquest of the promised land. As Moses gathers the people together, he says, if, 28, 29, and 30, Deuteronomy, if you obey God and if you honor him and if you serve him, here are the blessings you will enjoy, you will receive. But if you disobey him, if you dishonor him, and if you do not serve him, then here are the curses or the consequences that you will experience. And that is a theme that the prophets really pick up on, and that is that disobedient Israel led by wicked, deceitful shepherds will experience Defeat, dispersion, and hardship as promised by God through Moses. The second major point is this. Again, woven through many of the writings of the prophets, that out of Israel, and specifically the tribe of Judah in the southern kingdom of Israel, out of Israel will come the true Messiah. The true Messiah. And then the third point, and that is this that repentant Israel, that is, when the Jewish people have experienced the consequences of their disobedience and their rebellion against God, eventually, down the road in the future, eventually, they would repent as a nation, as a whole, of their disobedience and their rebellion and their sin. They would be repentant, and they would as a, as a people, they would be led by the good shepherd to be contrasted with the wicked shepherds that they had experienced, their leaders. They would be led by the good shepherd and will be regathered in the land. And so the prophets talk about this. Now, the prophets suggest that this will take place in waves, in stages. Uh, and we talked before, I think it was in our last study two weeks ago, about the principle of the remnant and the principle of the early rains and the latter rains. And the principle of the remnant is that no matter how disobedient the Jewish people have been as a whole, there always was and will be, there always was and will be a remnant of the Jewish people who are true believers, who are godly Jews, who follow God's plan for them. Now, there are times when that remnant, that group of Jews, would be very small. But eventually, that remnant will get larger and larger and larger, culminating in national Israel being repentant, led by the good shepherd, and restored to their land. 
Then there's the principle of the early rains and the latter rains. You know how important rain is to Israel. Over the summer, uh, usually around April, in around that period of time, sometimes a little later than that, late April, early May, the rain stops. And there is no rain until the autumn, until the fall. And over that period of time in a hot land like Israel, the Middle East, the ground dries up, everything turns brown, everything is thirsty, and when the fall comes around, when the beginning of the rains, known as the early rains, normally takes place, uh, there is some rain that comes, but it is not sufficient, it is not adequate. It rains a few days here and there, and then it doesn't for a few days, but the real time that is so important is the time of the latter rains. And that's in the springtime, spring uh, that is the late winter, very early springtime, when the heavens open up, hopefully, and there is abundant rain to at least recharge everything in the land and to grow the crops and so forth. Well, that idea of the early rains and the latter rains is applied to national Israel. That early on, there will be a, a small group of Jewish people who will be faithful to the Lord. But as time goes on, just as the rains intensify in the latter rains, there will be more and more Jewish people coming to faith culminating in this national Israel being repentant. Very important principle. Number four, the major point is this, that as a result of repentant Israel, as a result of their uh, being regathered to the land, as a result of them being led, guided, protected, defended by the good shepherd, all of Israel's enemies will be defeated. And then number five, National Israel, the Jewish people as a whole, will be given a position of permanent blessing by a loving and faithful God. Now, we need to keep those major points in mind whenever we read prophetic scripture, including the text that is before us today. And so I would invite you to turn your attention to Zechariah chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, the text that you have before you. And we are actually going to move verse by verse, and I think you will see the major points of uh, the prophets that I just went over with you are woven into this text, and you can see them very readily in this chapter, Zechariah chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. We begin with verse 1, where Zechariah says to, uh, to the people of his day, around 520 B.C., 520 BC, the Jews have been back in the land for about 18 years, remember? Uh, that remnant of Jews, that small number of Jews who were living in Babylon, uh, had been there for 70 years, that small remnant of Jews returns around 538 BC. They return explicitly for the purpose of rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 BC. 70 years before. Uh, but, of course, there were a lot of challenges, a lot of opposition. And so the people kind of wore out 
And there was a cessation in the work of rebuilding the temple for an extended period of time, 16 to 18 years. And finally, as a result of the prophetic ministry of Zechariah and Haggai, who were forth-telling, that is, speaking to the people of their day, the people were challenged to resume the work of rebuilding the temple, which they did, and it was ultimately completed. But, of course, the prophets, Zechariah, Haggai, had a message for the people of their day, and here's part of that message, verse 1. Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. And so Zechariah is, is challenging, as he's forthtelling his message, he's challenging the Jews of his day to recognize that God was blessing them then because they had actually returned to do what God wanted them to do, to rebuild the temple, the purpose for which they had come. And we saw two weeks ago in our previous study that, in fact, conditions improved in Israel for this group of Jewish people because of their obedience. And that is like the early rain. It's like they're experiencing, you know the old song, uh, mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead, showers of blessing. Well, they were experiencing some of the mercy drops. God was giving them as sort of the early rains, some of the blessing, but they as a people are, are challenged by Zechariah to pray that when the time would come in the future, that is the time of the spring rain, the time of the latter rains, that God would pour out his showers upon them, that God would make the storm clouds and those storm clouds would open up and there would be a huge outpouring of rain, uh, showers of blessing we need. Mercy drops around us are falling, but for the showers we plead. Uh, actually, that whole idea, and we saw the idea of the early rain and latter rain principle, the remnant principle, we also saw that the prophets speak often of the consequences of disobedience. One of the consequences of disobedience that, uh, that are given to the Jewish people uh, would be the lack of rain. Let me read a passage for you from Deuteronomy chapter 11. These are Moses' words at the end of his life, the challenge to the people. And in Deuteronomy throughout, but particularly those chapters that I mentioned, 28, 29, and 30, Moses talks about the consequences of disobedience. Here's what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13. And it shall come to pass, he's speaking to the nation of Israel in the wilderness, if ye shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, God says through Moses, which I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in its due season, the first rain and the latter rain. And thou mayest gather in thy grain and thy wine and thine oil, and I will send grass in thy fields for the cattle that thou mayest eat and be full. 
Well, here Zechariah is saying to his people, pray that not just we as a small remnant of Jews, but that all of our Jewish brethren will turn to the Lord and there will be an outpouring of God's showers of blessing. Verse 2, we talked about the, uh, the false shepherds and the misguidance of the Jewish people. It says this, for the household gods utter nonsense. Uh, the Hebrew word there is teraphim, teraphim. It is gods, idols, that the Jewish people had, not just the Jewish people. In their disobedience, they followed the practice of the Canaanites and other people around them, and they had their own little household god, their little idol. And they would set their idol up in a certain part of the house, and they would ask questions of the idol. Shall I do this, or shall I do this? And there must have been a system whereby somehow or another, they got an answer. I don't know whether it was tea leaves or what it was, but they actually were looking to their household gods for guidance and direction. And Zechariah says, as a people, your household gods utter nonsense and the diviners, the diviners are those who, who see things that other people don't see. And then they proclaim to the people, this is what I've seen. This is what you should do. But guess what they did? They told the people what they wanted to hear not what they needed to hear. They spoke lies. And the result was the Jewish people were led to continue in their disobedience. Thinking of what Sam said a few moments ago, and that is that too often in the church today, there's not the whole counsel of God that's proclaimed. It's not the whole gospel message. It's just what people want to hear. And certainly that was going on in that period of time. The household gods utter nonsense, the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. That is, they tell people what they want to hear. Therefore, the people, that is the Israelites, and this talks about their history before the exile, and yes, during the exile, and certainly even after the exile, and by the way, continuing to this day today. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for a lack of, shep of a shepherd. Well, how does God feel about that? How does God feel about the bad shepherds? Well, you don't have to wonder because verse three, God says through Zechariah, my anger is hot against the shepherds and I will punish the leaders for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the Jewish people, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in a battle. Did you catch the contrast there? The sheep and the majestic steed? So you've got the flock of Israel, they're wandering around like a bunch of stupid sheep. And from what I understand, I was never a shepherd, that is of animals, uh, but from what I understand, sheep are really stupid. They'll follow the wrong people or the wrong sheep over a cliff. And they just keep on going. And that's the picture of the, of the sheep who are wandering. Uh, but in contrast to that, the time is coming when they will be like a majestic steed, a white stallion. Verse four, from him, 
Who was the him here? Well, notice the precedent there in verse three. It refers to the house of Judah, the house of Judah. From him shall come the cornerstone. From him, the tent peg. From him, from Judah, the battle bow. From him, from Judah, every ruler kind of all roll up into one, all of them together, and he will be the one great ruler. Can you think of anyone who fits that description? Someone who came out of Judah? Someone who was identified in scripture as the cornerstone? And then what's that picture of the tent peg? Well, it's really two things in that culture. One is, of course, you know, the, the tent pole that the whole tent kind of hangs on. You know, you put up the tent pole, the tent peg, the tent pole, and if you do it right, if it's strong enough, the tent holds up. If you don't, it falls down in the middle of the night. Uh, the other thing is that in that part of the world, it was not uncommon for a tent to actually have a literal peg in it and the people who used the tent would oftentimes hang their very prized possessions and implements on that peg. And it was the tent peg. And then it goes on to say the battle bow. That is the bow that was used in battle. And then the ruler. Can you think of someone who fits this description? Of course, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who was identified in numerous places in the scriptures as the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner, the chief cornerstone. And he is indeed the one who holds his people together like a good strong tent peg. He is the one who intervenes uh, on behalf of his people like the battle bow, he is the one who is the greatest ruler of all. I remind you of Isaiah chapter nine, where it says that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And so clearly we are reminded that the Messiah will come out of the Jewish people. That is clearly a messianic passage. Verse five, they shall be, then the they here is Israel, national Israel. In the future, like majestic steeds, they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put to shame the riders on horses. And then God goes on to say, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them and they shall be as though I had not rejected them for I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. You see, we said, that repentant Israel is going to be brought back to the land and is going to be restored to the Lord. Verse seven, then Ephraim, and by the way, the reference to Joseph and Ephraim here, remember that Joseph's two sons, Ephraim, Ephraim, and Manasseh, actually uh, took the place of one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi, that was kind of pulled out to have a special role in serving the Lord. And so now you still have 12 tribes of Israel because you've got Levi pulled out and Joseph is represented by his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And so actually, those terms refer to the northern tribes of Israel, the tribes of Joseph, the tribes of Ephraim. Uh, and so we are told there in verse 7, Ephraim, so the Jews of the north, who were defeated by the Assyrians in 722 BC, Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. What a wonderful promise. And then this, this very picturesque verse. God says through Zechariah, I will whistle for them and gather them in for I have redeemed them and they shall be as many as they were before. I will whistle for them. You know what that refers to? Remember the image of the sheep earlier? Well, in that part of the world, it is not unusual at all for the shepherd when his sheep are kind of scattered all over the hillside and they're grazing and they're kind of doing their own sheepy thing and he wants to gather them together, he whistles for them and they recognize the voice or the whistle of the good shepherd. And when he whistles, they come. And that's the picture here. I will whistle for them, gather them in, for I have redeemed them, repentant Israel, and they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries. Oh, let me come back to this though. Verse eight, they shall be as many as they were before. Do you know how many attempts have been made throughout history to eliminate the Jewish people? Time and time again. We talked about Kristallnacht culminating in the Holocaust, six million Jews, over half of the population of Jewry in Europe, which was 11 million at that period of time. Six million of them died. And yet God's promises, the time is going to come when they will be as many as they were before and even more so. Verse nine, though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me and with their children they shall live and return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt, gather them from Assyria. These are the two quintessential enemies, among others, of the Jewish people, the Egyptians and the Assyrians. Remember, the Assyrians destroyed the Northern Kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. Remember, the Egyptians kept the Jews, slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And remember, the Pharaoh tried to keep them from leaving. And so they represent Egypt and Assyria, all of the enemies of the Jewish people. And goes on to say, I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. Gilead, Gilead is that area that is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River runs from the southern part of the Sea of Galilee in the north and empties into the Dead Sea. The, the Jordan River, as it runs down on the eastern side, is the land of Gilead. It's not part of modern-day Israel today. It's Jordan, the country of Jordan. And Lebanon, well, you know, Lebanon is to the north. And Lebanon, well, it's Lebanon. But you see, the land that God promised to Israel, to the descendants of Abraham, is much larger than what we know as Israel today. And so the idea is that Jews are gonna be gathered from all over the world, they're going to be able to defeat their enemies, whoever they might be, and they, many of them, will be placed back into the land. Uh, Marty asked the question, is immigration continuing to increase? Yes, it is. 
Do you remember the remnant principle? Do you remember the early rain, latter rain principle? Yes, it has begun. It has started, but it will intensify. Finally, verse 11, he shall pass through the sea of troubles, strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Well, I think you can see, can you not? Those major points of the Old Testament prophets woven into this passage. Now, there are those who say, well, that prophecy has already been fulfilled. The prophecy has already been fulfilled. And you say, well, how in the world is that happening? Well, there are those who say that the prophecy is being fulfilled when Jews become believers in Jesus and become part of the church. And so that's the fulfillment of all of this. As I mentioned the last time, uh, I think one of the finest commentaries on the book of Zechariah uh, was written by a man named David Barron. It was published in 1918 called The Visions and Prophecies of Zechariah. This is what Barron says about those who would suggest that these prophecies have already been fulfilled, that they are not future. He says, but as I have had occasion to remark more than once, such method of interpretation, the one we talk about, that they're already fulfilled, turns the great prophetic utterances in the Bible into mere hyperbole, exaggeration, and substitutes an unnatural and shadowy meaning for what is plain and obvious, thereby throwing a vagueness and uncertainty over all scripture. No, no, just as the scattering of Israel was literal, so the gathering also will be literal. And it is not in the absorption of a remnant of Jewish people into the church and in the gradual spread of Christianity that these prophecies find a most glorious and real fulfillment, but in a yet nationally restored and converted Israel, which shall yet be the center of the kingdom of God and his Christ and the channel of blessing to all the nations of the earth. The early reigns have already begun. And I believe there's indication that the latter rains are not far away. I began by pointing out to you the antagonism of the religious Jewish community toward Jews who are seeing those video testimonies. You know why they're upset? Because more and more Jews are becoming repentant and are accepting Jesus as their Messiah. That's the remnant. It's getting bigger and bigger. Now it is true that Israel is going to have to go through a terrible time in the future. But out of that, they will be refined as gold that is refined by fire. And when as a nation they turn in faith to Jesus, who comes back from heaven to intervene on their behalf, then they will experience these blessings that God promises to repentant, obedient Israel.
Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcasts. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble, reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.